everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Tomorrow Never Knows, a Beatles podcast. And today we're going to talk about the greatest album of all time. I was going to say arguably the greatest album of all time, but there's no argument. We're going to talk about the greatest album of all time, Revolver. And I've got my brother Jeff with me. How are you going? Good, mate. Good. Thanks for uh, having me on. No worries. Um, before, look, before we get into Revolver, um, Peter Jackson released that five-minute clip of the new Let It Be, which is titled Get Back, and we've both had a, a look at it. Um, what do you think of it? Oh, I liked it, obviously, um, straight up. I think <laughs> it's going to be as biased to the happy side as Let It Be was to the, um, you know, the side of unrest and, and depression. Yeah, I, look, when I saw it, it, it was just all dancing. It was all um, mucking around. It was like happy family Beatles, which is, you know, um, totally opposite to Let It Be. Yeah, that's right. So, and it's I think, totally, well, that's what he's obviously going for. Yeah, yeah. and it's and, and that, that's the um, massive mccartney influence there because um paul hated let it be because he came across looking like a dickhead you know yeah so and that's why you can't get let it be now that's why let it be's never been on blu-ray it hasn't been released i don't think on any format in the last 20 years uh Mm. because paul doesn't like it and as i said in previous podcasts for them to pass something for the beatles to pass something you need all four votes you can't have three votes like you can't have Paul Ringo and say John's estate voting yeah. for something and it passes. It's got to be all four. So he must have convinced the others. You know, we'll do something with it. We'll we'll do a happy, happy Beatles. Yeah. Well, look, it did come across really happy. Everyone, you know, John especially was jumping and dancing and doing all that yeah. stuff that he does, which was it was really good to see some new footage of him that that was my main thing that's what i first really enjoyed um i was kind yeah. of there was a shot there where yoko's sitting on the ground right next to him and it's just, it's just like a fucking barnacle <laughs> and it's just i um, really shat me yeah but I, I really like it because um i like it because i'd like to see that version i want to see the fun stuff but what I really want to see is all of it. I want to see yeah. all 56 hours. So yep. we make up our own mind. You know, all the Beatles fans, you know, you can sit there, you can watch your 56 hours over a month or however long it takes you, and you make up your own mind. Was it a good time? Was it a bad mm. time? It was obviously both. But one thing I did notice mm. about it was all that footage was taken at Abbey Road Studios. Now, before that, where the arguments were, were in Twickenham Film Studios. Oh, I see. That's where the arguments were. You know, that like when Paul and George are sitting there and they're arguing and they've got that red light on them and mm. that's when all the depressing stuff happened. So all this stuff, they, after that they said, no, this is too depressing. We don't want to work in this environment. And then they went to Abbey Road and that's when it lightened up a bit. Oh, and also there's that story where George said, there were so many arguments that he wanted to bring in someone from outside so everyone would be on their best behaviour, so he brought in Billy Preston. And oh, that's when Billy Preston joined them in Abbey Road. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, but I'm with you. I'd, I'd like to see that whole 56 hours. Um, 
why doesn't you know Netflix just buy up the whole lot and have a separate Netflix channel of just you know fifty six hours of Beatles and just the good thing yeah yeah that's right just watch it as, as you wish you know watch it all I mean there's millions of us millions of fans that are just sit there and watch every second of it and pour yeah. over it and analyze it and you know and enjoy it exactly and, and another thing I noticed about it was the the quality. The quality is really fucking good. Yeah, they pumped they've, it up, didn't they? Yeah, they pumped <clears throat> it up. They've made it um, 4K. So uh, was it shot on 16 or 35 mil? Uh, it was, I think it was shot on 35. It was shot on 35 mil. Well, but it was just massive cameras to have in studios, 35 mil. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I don't know how many cameras or, or whatever. You know, there's also a lot of um, – there was also a lot of recording, like audio recording being done. What the filmmakers did was when the Beatles were sitting around having lunch, they had microphones like under the table and in their salad and, you know, wow. things like that and they were recording. And there's some really interesting shit apparently, like really interesting shit where they're just sort of like together and they're talking about Yoko. You know, when John isn't there, they're just talking about how much, you know, Yoko is – you know, they hate Yoko and things yeah. like that, but that'll never see the light of day. You'll never see that. Well, because I mean, one day her, she or her estate won't pass it. Obviously, so who gets oh, yeah. who gets the votes then? Like Yoko's on the way out; she's very ill. So well, that, her, well, Sean, that'll be passed down to Sean. Okay, um, I wonder if he's been given a brief by the old hag. Yeah, and uh, uh, Olivia for for uh, George, but that'll be passed down to Danny, George's son, mm. and, you know, Paul and uh, Ringo are still alive. So they're the only two that are, you know, that are making real votes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You don't know how, like, like you know, John John's a, was the kind of guy that might turn around and say, no, you know what, I want, when you're rubbishing Yoko, I want it in there. Mm. I want people to know. Warts and all. He wants everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, look, I like it because another thing I like is they look like they've got the same haircuts, same appearance as those pictures in the White Album. Mm. And I really like that. I, I think that's one of their best looks. Yeah, yeah. You know? They look great. Um, yeah. I think that's one of their best looks. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. I heard it might be playing at theatres, and if it is, I'm going to go see it at a theatre. Yeah. You know? Definitely. Yeah, I'm looking oh, forward definitely. to it. I'm looking forward to the box set, looking forward to all that sort of stuff. Everything. Well, in the box set, you'd think they'd have to add more hours. Yeah, well, in the other box sets I've got, they've got more. Oh, I'm not talking about the box set of the video. They might oh. do that. I'm talking about the audio box set. They've got, you know, outtakes and all, all sorts of different things, you know, different versions. Uh, and the, I know, and you know, I've got a lot of Let It Be bootlegs and there's millions and millions of half songs and started songs and, you know, there's things like there's versions of um, – there's a version of Paul doing I'm So Tired and there's a version of uh, him doing Strawberry Fields, you know, not right. full versions but, you know, and there's all sorts of things going on. So there's millions of hours of all that shit. Jeez, you, think, you know – how they get AI to write songs in the, the genre. You think if you fed it all uh, bits and pieces of of songs that they never completed, it might come up with something interesting? 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. And if you just kept doing it and doing it and doing it, it eventually would come up with something. Even if you play Beatles songs backwards, they, they're interesting. Yeah. Even even Beatles songs backwards are better than every other band's songs forwards, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the AI will get a vote, though? Uh, maybe. Not while the Okay's alive. Mm. All right, so today we're going to talk about Revolver. Um, let's let's backtrack a bit. Let's backtrack to 1965, the night where. John and George went to their dentist's house and he dropped acid in their coffee. Mm. That, to me, that is the birth of Revolver. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, just the psychedelic effects of such a drug and what it does to, as far as opening up your, um, well, whatever you want to call it, your third eye, your chakras, whatever, you know, they name it um, – other dimensions, tuning you into a different frequency. Uh, definitely, I think. I think the word you're looking for is truth. No, yeah, well, truth. Yeah, there's definitely their truth, but it definitely had a pronounced effect. Things you could see, like I think Nowhere Man probably um, was the Apparently first was, sort of inkling yeah. of that sort of looking, you know, beyond. I, I was reading. Um, I was reading that. Nowhere Man was written while John was on acid or the day after he was on acid. So it was, you know, mm. there is a bit of acidy revolver. So so you're right there, yeah, with Nowhere Man. But so the dentist drops them this acid. Beautiful. They tell the story of where they go to this nightclub and the acid hits them in the, in the elevator and they thought the elevator was on fire. And they're at like this celebrity nightclub that just opens basically in the middle of the dance floor. And when they open, there's George and John screaming their heads off because they thought the elevator was on fire. And um, John also talks about when he got home that night, he stayed up all night and he was pretending to um, ride a submarine. He was pretending he was controlling a submarine. All right. And then later George said... George said that trip, that acid trip, brought him and John close. Like we've had acid before. You know how you can sort of like develop a really close relationship with someone after you've taken acid because you've both experienced Mm. um, a a similar thing. A new dimension. A new dimension, yeah. So he he always talked about how how much closer that brought him and John and he sort of took it as – Everyone wanted to get close to John. Yeah. Everyone wanted to be John's best friend. And this was George's, well, I've done acid with him, you know. And Paul wouldn't take acid for a long, long time. Right. Right. So. My dentist won't even give me gas. Mine will. Okay. Well, it's expensive though. It's like a hundred bucks for gas. I said, you're you're the most expensive dealer in town. Jesus. <laughs> All right. So they – um. So they take this acid and then in 1966 they go in and they start recording sessions for Revolver and the first thing they record is Paperback Rider and Rain. They're the first two songs they record. Mm, 
Uh, and two, yeah, two classics, yeah. two classics yes. of the well, canon. One of my favorite songs, one of my favorite Paul songs is Paperback Rider. One of my favorite John songs is Rain. Mm. You know, um, both very underrated songs, both very, and one of the greatest singles of all time, you know. You've got that, mm. that Paperback Rider on the A side, Rain on the B side. Yeah, uh, look, Paperback Rider in in my mind sort of heralds the beginning of 60s cool rock, you know. Mm. You've got that riff, that guitar sound, uh, you know, and you've, it's just blistering. It's just so refreshing. It's like a, you know, being hit by a, a wave. Yeah. It's insane. It's so good. You know how, you know that actually went to number one twice, went to number one when the Beatles released it and it went to number one when the Monkees did Last Train to Clarksville. Oh, really? Well, Last Train to Clarksville is exactly yeah. Paperback Rider. Even the guys that wrote that song said we were listening to Paperback Rider and um, right. <laughs> you know, that end part, that Paperback yeah. Rider, and then I got Last Train to Clarksville. Yeah, right, of Talking. course. So, And it starts off, you know, they try, and it's a good song. It's a good song. Oh, it's but brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. Paperback Rider and Rain. Rain had uh, something happened, John says something happened, and the end of it, oh, he took it home to listen to and he, he fucked up the tape somehow and right at the end, you know how you've got that little backwards bit? Yeah. Right at the end, that was from a mistake and John saw that, heard that and it just blew his mind. He was probably on acid, it blew his mind and then they went, you know, oh, backwards shit, backwards shit and, you know, the yeah. whole album went fucking yeah, went yeah. like that. Of course, of course. But, yeah, I mean, but so... Why didn't why weren't those two singles on on the album? I don't get that. I mean, because every you know great album these days or most albums have a single on it, right? So why weren't well, those Ma- two Ma- songs Marty on and there? I Marty and I spoke about that in uh, in one of the podcasts, and <clears throat> what it was was the Beatles signed contracts that said I think I can't remember the exact contract, but it was something like every year they have to have like three or four singles out that aren't on albums and then they had to have two albums. Fuck. That's a lot so, of um a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of output. It was just amazing, amazing fucking output. Yeah. And yeah, so and it's it's a very fair question. It's a very fair question. And I think I really think that um if you put paperback rider and rain on revolver, mm. fuck. Oh yeah, that's right. just you know? there's no better album in the world, you know. And I mean, yeah. there's no better album as it as it anyway, is. Anyway, yeah. But that'd just be like the icing, the icing on the cake. Yeah. So yeah, so they all went in and um, they all went in, and started experimenting heavily in the studio, acid fueled experimentation in the studio. You know. Yeah. So, and to, um, to me, it's it's the birth of. Um, the Beatles breaking out from that sort of boy band era, you know, mm. when the songs were about love and, uh, you know, well, you know, the early Beatles. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought Rubber Soul was the first step of Rubber that. Soul was the first step, but this, this to me was the one where they just sort yeah. of really firmly entrenched, you know, their archetypes. Yeah, and it's so much... For me, you know, to follow this album, they followed it with Sgt. Pepper. Everyone loves Sgt. Pepper. I don't personally love Sgt. Pepper because I don't think 
Sergeant Pepper is a progression from Revolver. I think it's actually a regression from Revolver. Sergeant Pepper is sort of like a poppy, more poppy version of Revolver, and the songs on Sergeant Pepper aren't as good, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I really like Sergeant Pepper. I really like it. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I love think, it. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I mean... I, I think the natural progression from Revolver was the White Album, you know? Yeah. I think that's that's the natural progression. Like, you know, you, you've gone from this high-tech, psychedelic, experimental record to, you know, to the um, laid-back, nursery-rhymey record, I, you know? Mm. I, I, I just think it's fantastic. I think it's awesome. Anyway, um, oh, yeah, the cover. Let's talk about the cover for a minute. The cover was done by their old friend from the Hamburg days, Klaus Vorman. Yeah, good old Klaus. Good old Klaus. He, he played, you know, as we know, he played on a lot of George's records. He played on a lot of John's records, playing the bass. He, um, John was going to form a band with him and George and Ringo called The Ladders. Yeah? And, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Must have been and held in very high regard. He was, he was. And, and he designed the cover and apparently when Brian Epstein saw the cover, he started crying because it was so beautiful. <laughs> and he also he also did the covers for the anthology series. They tried to get the guy who did Sergeant Pepper, I think his name was Robert Whitaker. they tried to get him but he was charging too much so they got Klaus and I'm glad they got Klaus, you know. Mm. Although I would have liked to have seen what, the guy who did Sergeant Pepper would have come up with. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Maybe they should get him to do, like, reissue it with that cover, both covers. Yeah. You know? Why not? Yeah, and I, I don't understand why. Um, how can he be too expensive for the Beatles? You know, I mean, the Beatles, like Apple. I'm not talking about individual. Um, I'm not talking about individual wealth. I'm talking about collective wealth the collective business wealth of apple is just in the billions and billions of dollars yeah you know? like th- those box sets those um that came out the mono box sets and the stereo box sets both in vinyl and in in uh on cd that those alone netted them over a billion dollars you know that's insane you know, because they're very fucking expensive. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But that, that alone netted them over a billion dollars. So, you know, the, anyway. Track listing? Yep. We'll go through the tracks. All right. Track number one. Taxman. Yeah. It's an immortal track, immortal in all time. You know, that that bass riff, unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah, that's crazy, crazy bass riff. Um, the whole thing, it's it's one of, like, that was my favourite George song for a long time. I'm mm. sort of leaning towards While My Guitar Gently Weeps at the moment. But, um, yeah, what a great song. What a great song. And a real sort of 60s disco type song, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that real go-go thing, like yeah. you can imagine go-go girls dancing to it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, like I was saying before, this album with Paperback Rider, Rain, and and this song, they really pushed that sort of progressive rock sound of the 60s. That It was a new sound, you know? Mm. 
I'll tell you a story about um, a friend of mine, and this is funny because it, it does incorporate uh, LSD also. And he was a hardcore metalhead, really hardcore metalhead, just used to listen to death metal and that. everything else was shit to him, everything. Um, just love metal. And um, he and uh, another friend of mine took acid one night and, and my, my other mate put on um, a Beatles mix. And as the acid was coming on, Taxman came on. Mm. But first he's going, what's this shit? Oh, this is shit. This is old school. This is old school. <laughs> then Taxman came on while he was started to peak. And he just got up and he just yelled out that I renounce all metal. The Beatles are the only <laughs> band I will ever listen to. And is he still, is it still that way? Uh, I think he does listen to other music now. That was like about five years ago. But he's still, he's a hardcore Beatles head now and he'll probably be listening to this. Oh, cool. Good, yeah. And also got to mention that um, Paul plays the lead break on Taxman. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, yeah, come, that's very Why? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he just came up with something. Maybe he just did something. He was mucking around on the guitar and, you know, George said, oh, yeah, let's do that. And because Paul, they, they had a rule that you could not force anything onto anyone if they wrote the song. Right. You know? So um, if George didn't want it, George wouldn't have had it. And George was that type of guy well, too. It's would've... an Indian type of guitar solo, isn't it? It sounds kind of sitarish. Yeah, I, I thought for a long time that solo was backwards, but it's yeah, not. That's right in uh, George's wheelhouse. Let's not forget, too, it's a protest song, you know? Yeah. It's a protest yeah. song that's protesting the high taxes um, that people had to pay in England, especially and it actually, Yeah, it actually was. Um, one, it was they were getting $1 out of every $20 or one yeah. pound out of every 20 pounds. 95% of their tax yeah. was just fucking 95% of their income was taxed, sorry? Yeah. That's, that's fucking, that's insane. And their income wasn't that huge either. I mean, you know, they were only getting, you know, between them like a penny or two pennies per single, you know? Jesus. So for, for them to be rich... They would have had to do what they did, which was sell that amount of records, you know. But um, if they were on, like, a good contract, like a lot of other bands at that time were, a lot of other bands at that time, or that came after them were, um, in the 60s, they, they would have been, fuck, they would have been, you know, 100, 1,000 times richer. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, it's just a unbelievably great song. Great opening track from the beginning when you hear that, you know, that one, two, one. You know that there's something different. Yeah. You know something different's happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's just um, one of those songs that's immortal. And, you know, it was the opening track of an album that changed music. And it was, that was kind of like the first time I'd, I – I don't know if it's the first time that it's ever happened, but if you listen to other 60s songs, it doesn't uh, – 60s albums, it doesn't seem to be any off-song chatter. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's what that was. Yeah, that, was yeah. that was a bit of chatter in the background. And if you listen to other 60s albums, it probably is somewhere, I don't know, but I haven't heard it, you know. 
And it's interesting because I'll probably get into this later more with John, but um, it was one of the first songs that I listened to that had that made me think outside of just bullshit lyrics of you know because we used to listen to a lot of glam rock and you know Gary Glitter and stuff and all of his songs were about love and you know the pursuit of love or the rejection of love yeah, and we listened to Sweet and a lot of their stuff was just chants you know yeah so just but this has actually had a topical concern so it was just about tax it was called Tax Man. You know, which was a nickname that we used to give to any of our friends that were tight asses. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Second song, Eleanor Rigby. Yeah. <laughs> Not a big fan of that song. I know you I like don't, it. I don't understand how you cannot be a uh, fan of that song. That is a absolute masterpiece. Uh, it's I a just, masterpiece. It just depresses me. I find it depressing, you know. The subject matter, mm. the tone, the you know. I love it. I love I love the melodies. The melody. I love I love the melody. I love the orchestration, George Martin's orchestration. I just think it's you know, the harmonies, Paul harmonizing with himself. I just think it's fantastic. I, I I think it's one of the best. I think it's one of the best, if not the best, Paul song. I'll yeah. go that far to say that because it's just such a like I said, yeah, to me it's such a masterpiece. And and when we went and saw McCartney, when we yeah. went and saw him live and he, he played that live, that was just one of my highlights, you know. Oh, it's good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy for you. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I found it just sort of depressing. I found mm. the melody really depressing and the subject matter really depressing. It just had that real sort of um, fucking cold it's, you know, those old pommy miserable <laughs> shows. It just felt like one of those. Yeah. It just felt grey and wet. I know what you mean. I know cold. what you mean. I, I think I, when I was a kid I found it depressing because I didn't appreciate the the um, the genius of it. But now – I get it. Now, I, I mean, I it. get it. I understand everything you're saying and I, I, agree, I begrudgingly agree with you but it just doesn't play right with my chemistry. Yeah, fair enough. Um, a couple of side notes on that. Uh, Paul – they actually found a gravestone in Liverpool Cemetery. They found Eleanor Rigby's gravestone in Liverpool Cemetery and Paul swears he made up that name. He swears he made up that name and he says, you know, maybe subconsciously I saw it. But after all these years, they actually found Eleanor Rigby's grave. Mm. Uh, another side note is that John says Paul didn't sort of finish it he he, um, he came in and said there was a group of them sitting around and he said, oh, can you finish this up for me? I'm stuck. And John said, you know, he was meaning can I finish it up for him, not anyone else. Mm. So he added some lyrics and Ringo said he added the lyrics um, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. Right. So that's Ringo's line, which I think is one of the best lines, isn't it? Oh, God, it's depressing though, isn't it? Just <laughs> fucking stitching up holes in your socks by yourself at night. Jesus. An old priest. Yeah. Did I tell you about that old priest I saw when I was um, I was up in Brisbane doing some work with a friend and he had to stop in to do some property work for this old priest and he was single and he fit, he fit the exact uh, description of Father Mackenzie and he was so unkempt he had like dreadlocks growing out of his ears. 
<laughs> that's you know that's my picture of Father Mackenzie. Mm. Yeah, and no, I sort of I don't know. I never really had a picture of Father Mackenzie. And uh, yeah, originally it was supposed to be Father McCartney, but he changed uh, it okay. at the last minute. All right, number three. I'm only sleeping. Okay, now this this is a masterpiece. I actually love this. It sounds so much like he's sleeping, you know. Great acting, great acting while he's singing, you know. He's probably in bed when they recorded yeah. it, you know. He does the yawn. He sounds, you know, really lethargic. He sounds like he's just about to get fall asleep. Yeah, and it does, for me, have some acid overtones. It's like when you're coming, oh, yeah, for sure. coming down from acid after you've been tripping for, you know, yeah, yeah. 20 hours and you're just getting to bed, You've showered, you get into bed and just all that sort of <laughs> stuff is playing out in your head. Your whole trip is just sort of playing out in your head just as you're dozing. And you can feel the chemicals still bubbling yeah, in your blood. just in the background. Yeah. Um, no, look, it's a great song. I love the um, I love the guitar and I love that backward guitar right at the end. I wish there was more of that, mm. you know, just, just love that. But it's... Such a great song. Like I said, it's such John was such a good actor, a vocal actor. Yeah, like he he, yeah. he knew how to put emotions in his songs. And when he's singing that, it does sound like he's sleeping, you know. And the, the timing of it, um, you know, it's it's just sort of like ticking by, like um, like a clock as you try, you know, as you're sleeping. Mm. Yeah, it kind of suspends the laws of. Of time and motion. That's what our Beatles biographer said. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm just looking at it now. Beatles biographer Jonathan Gould views the solo as appearing, it's a solo, to suspend the laws of time and motion to stimulate the half coherence of the state between wakefulness and sleep. Well, yeah, I'd have to say That's pretty I agree sp- with that. Pretty spot on. I can't, you know, I can't play that song when I'm in the car because I fucking pass out. If I'm <laughs> driving, asleep. I just pass out. <laughs> it is just um, a, it's a fucking real it's that first real acidy feeling that you get on the album you know that's yeah. what i really like about it yeah yeah to me it's like revolver you know the first four tracks on that taxman eleanor rigby i'm only sleeping and then love to you uh which we'll get to in a second i just want to make another comment about i'm only sleeping that version on anthology that there's just there's a version with um, just music and xylophone. Mm. I really love that. That is real sleep yeah, music. Yeah, that is. I, I wish that went for like five ten minutes because yeah. I'd just put that on before I went to sleep every night. It just seems that Lennon could just tap into these, you know, these these different psychedelic and psychological states. Mm. He could he could bring them alive. He could describe them with music. Yeah, which is you yeah. know genius. And it's very He's rare. Genius. Very very yeah. rare. All right, next track number four, "Love to You." Yeah. So that to me, yeah, this this song was, a, you know, it's his first sort of George's first introduction into his Indian influence. Yeah, that's right. It is, isn't it? Yeah, and first Indian song. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was actually shocked 
when I heard it, like the first time I heard it. Yeah. I put on the record and like I said, you listen to Taxman, you listen to Eleanor Rigby, um, I'm Only Sleeping. And, you know, it's different. They're, they're different songs for the Beatles, but it's still recognisable Beatles. Mm. You know, and then when you hear the beginning of the sitars and um, the tablas and yeah. all that sort of stuff, I was like, whoa, whoa. And, of course, we'd been – We'd been exposed to similar music from coming from um, an Arabic background. Mm. Arabic music is kind of similar to that. Yeah, especially the drumming. Yeah. 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 But so, yeah, yeah, that that was a bit of a shock, you know? Yeah, well, it's the first time they sort of really used different instruments. Mm. Wasn't well, it? it's not the first time they used the sitar. The first time they used the sitar was in um, Norwegian Wood. Norwegian Wood, yeah. But. Yeah. But this is like all in, all Indian instrumentation. Yeah, and it's just it was a real shift in sound, you know. Yeah, and then you got yeah. George's sort of laconic vocals over the back of it, you know. Mm. And he says, "I'll make love to you if you want me to." You know, that's just one of the greatest lines of all time. Well, Mick Jagger says um, one of his one of the greatest lines of all time is um, you don't get time to hang a sign on me. Yeah. He loves that line. That's a great line. I mean, you know, and I think this is, you're starting to look here, this is the album you're realising that George is a serious songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've, yeah, the first, in the first four songs, you've gotten two George songs and they're both fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, they're brilliant. They're both fantastic. Um, Do you want to tell that story of... uh, well, Your experience with love to you? Yeah, yeah. We got to put it into context. I mean, we probably started listening to the Beatles seriously around what 77, 78, 79. Mm, right? No, it was a little bit after that, I think. No, I think, well, this happened to me about 79. Okay. I think, I, and I was in uh, third form, as they called it back then. Yeah. Year, year nine. Year nine. And I was just playing this song and I was just sort of tripping out. I wasn't tripping out on drugs. I was just tripping out on the music. And I was doing a – putting together some uh, Indian dance moves to go with it. And uh, I had my blinds open and I was just dancing around to this song and I looked out and there was a couple of girls from school there watching me and giggling. <laughs> and, and they wouldn't have had a clue what you were listening to. No, they wouldn't have they, all they would have seen was – a skinny Arab kid in his underpants doing a weird dance to you know, sitar and tabla. <laughs> so, yeah, but at the end I, I looked out the window and said, I'll make love to you if you want me to. Yeah. And they ran away. Oh, the cops Literally. came. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that was my foray. But, uh, yeah, great yeah. song, great song. Oh, it's a great song and it's just a real musically total departure from the Beatles um, the only thing that makes it sound beatle is the melody and the harmonies, you know. Mm. I mean, it's George singing and then you've got the harmonies, but um, it's the voices that make it sound beatle mm. you know. Like I, I remember playing that, playing it to our dad and saying, uh, who do you think this is? And he listened to it for about two minutes and then he said the Beatles. Yeah. So he could recognise it just from the voices. Yeah. All right, number five, here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. You know, 
I don't know. It's it's a song. It's a Beatles song. It's it's got some good melodies. Um, kind of sounds a bit Beach Boys. No, I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. It's yeah, it's definitely not one of my favourite. And um, if you had to remove two songs to make room for Paperback Rider or Rain, that would be one of the songs I'd remove. You know, I, I'd rather have After Love to You. I'd rather have um, Rain. Yeah, you know, instead yeah. of Here, There, and Everywhere. Oh wow. Yeah, that that would, that, that would just, just be awesome. You're just building yeah. upon, you know. Yeah, like here, there, and everywhere is it deserves a spot somewhere in the Beatles canon, but it, it's sort of, I, I don't know. To me, it doesn't. It's not as progressive as the other. That's songs. right. That's right. It's it's you know? kind of typical McCartney schmaltz. Yeah, like you could have put here, there, everywhere on Beatles for Sale or yeah. something like that, you know. Yeah, I agree. And I just yeah. I just think if, when you look at um, Taxman, Love You Too, I'm Only Sleeping, and look, and you, then you see here, there, and everywhere, uh, to me, George and John have progressed to a totally different level yeah. to what yeah. Paul has. Well, even, no, uh, yeah, Eleanor Rigby. I know. He's, yeah, he's progressed there. But, yeah, that to me that's just like a throwaway. Having said all that, that was John's favourite track on the album. Really? Yeah. Now, I don't know if – I don't know why. I don't know if he even really meant it, mm. you know, but, um, but but that's what he said. That's what he said. All right, number <laughs> six, Yellow Submarine. Yeah. Look, <laughs> I don't mind. It's a good little sing-along, isn't it? Yeah. It's a kid's sing-along. I'll tell you another. I'll tell you a story about Yellow Submarine that I'm involved in. <clears throat> um, now, at high school, we went to our high school, right? We had mm. that um, our PE teacher was an ex-first-grade uh, rugby league front rower. You remember that? <clears throat> I do. Scon, we used to call him. Big ball built like a brick shit house, and he was yeah. mean as the day was oh, long. Yeah, it was funny was too. He, he was real funny, but um, I remember it was our first year seven. It was our first PE lesson in year seven. Um, right, yeah. that that was always the scariest. Yeah, that was the scariest thing about yeah. year seven was going into Scon's class, <clears throat> and um, he came in and just. Started yelling at us, get changed, this, you know, the other, just he's just bawling us all out. We hadn't done anything yet. Uh, a couple of people didn't have the right house shirts on, so they were, didn't have the wrong colour, and he's yelling at them, and it was just like we were cringing and we were just absolutely, yeah. you know, terrorised, basically, yeah. by this, this monster. Yeah. And um, I don't know why, but I just started singing Yellow submarine. I just really loudly went in the town where I was born, lived a man. <laughs> and then people started joining in. And really? Yeah. Wow. And then we walked down to the oval, and there's about twenty of us singing it. And it's just and Scott didn't say anything. No, he didn't say a word. Wow. He just let it pass. And when we got down yeah. there, we're all saying, "We are living a yellow submarine." So the Beatles calmed the savage beast. They did. They did. I yeah. channeled them. And I remember I had to do chin-ups and my name was the first on the list. Yeah, we were first on the roll. 
Yeah, always, always first, yeah. And um, I got up onto the chin-up bar and I just closed my eyes and with all my strength just, you know, did what I could. And um, then I opened my eyes and said, how many was that to scone? He went, nil. <laughs> I, didn't, I couldn't even get one. Yeah. So what's the yeah. song? The song's, it's a kid's song, right? But Well, yeah, it's, it's just a, a sing-along, but it's kind of a bit psychedelic too, you know. It's about mm. a yellow submarine and people living in it. And, you know, it's the title track to one of the best films of all time, like that yellow submarine film. Yeah. It's just fucking insane. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. So, you know, that's why I really like it because, of the, you know, that it's, whole. It's very like subversive, it, you know. It comes across as this kid's song, but it's really psychedelic. The whole yeah. thing is just like a mind fuck on acid. If you look at, uh, like, um, when it comes to Beatles collectibles, uh, the Yellow Submarine cartoon is a genre within itself there's so many things you can buy yellow submarine you know yeah well because it, it, it it gave birth to a totally new style of art yeah 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 where paul's paul wanted it to be kind of disney and he says uh he says now he says oh thank god they didn't listen to me yeah no it's 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 mm. you know i think it's subversive in the way that it comes across as a kid's song but it's just very, very, feels like very drug-fueled, you know, end of a trip. Yeah, yeah. All right. She said, she said. Uh, a miracle of sound. One of my favourites mm. of all time, or one of my favourite all-time Beatles songs. Ringo's drumming, the sounds of those cymbals. Um, George says, you know, like... Um, Here's one thing I did, because he doesn't brag much, but he said, uh, here's one thing I did. He said, John came up to me with three different songs and said, I don't know what to do with them. And I said, why don't you put them together? And that was She Said, She Said. Right. Okay. So it's like, yeah, three different bits. I love the guitaring. I love the drumming. I love John's vocals. I love the lyrics. I love the production. I just love everything about that song. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of my favourites. Uh, it's unbelievable. Like to me, that was the first inkling of, um, you know, where I actually heard a song that had not a message but almost a philosophy, mm. if you know what I mean. And that yeah. that's sort of it broke my brain a bit when I was back in year nine. It's just like, okay. This is music, but it's different. It's yeah. not just music. It's a higher form of communication. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I've said it before uh, in the podcasts, um, Revolver and the White Album taught me more than, you know, four years of university. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, way more, mm. way, way, way more, you know. Um and, of course, everyone that's listening to this would know the story of uh, they were in California, I think it was California, sitting by the pool, tripping out, and Peter Fonda 
came up to John and just kept saying, I know what it's like to be dead. I know what it's like to be dead. And John basically told him to fuck off because he said, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm having a bad trip with you saying that shit. Yeah, he had him removed, didn't he? I can't remember. I don't know. But that that was um, one of my favourite all-time Beatles songs. Oh, yeah. It's it's brilliant. The arrangement, the sound, the... Uh, and that's what I like about this album, the, the guitar. I, I, I love that guitar sound, and it's all the way through the album. Mm. You know, it's all the way through the album. And it's just a totally new sound. It's a totally yeah. new sound. But to me, it was it was the emergence of John um, as a shaman, you know, yeah, as, well. as someone that knew something that I needed to know, someone, yeah, exactly. someone that had secrets. That I, I exactly. really was craving to understand, and to it was a new world. Just t- totally opened up a new world. It wasn't just a fucking song. And when you think about it, it's you know it's it's like incredible that you know John's writing these songs. All of them are writing these songs, and they're fucking you know John's twenty six. Um, George is twenty four. George and Paul are twenty four. Mm. Oh, writing this shit, you know what I mean? Jeez, I don't. I, I know when I was twenty six, I wasn't thinking like that. Nah. You know, I was a fucking idiot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to disagree with you. All right, uh, number eight, "Good Day Sunshine." Now, see, that's another song I would put. Um, actually, yeah, I, I, I would. I would take that out and I would put either Rain or Paperback Rider. Actually, I think what I'd do is I'd put Rain there and when I said I'd remove here, there and everywhere, I'd put Paperback Rider there. Yeah. But, yeah, Good Day Sunshine is not one of my favourites. I'd go the other way. I'd put Paperback Rider there because remember it was on vinyl, you're flipping the record over, bang, just started off with a hit. Paperback Rider, just, you know. That big rip. Yeah, 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 yeah. But to me, Good Day Saints, you know what it is? It's a fucking commercial. You've been listening, you've been entrenched in this new world yeah. and you're going through this whole trip and then suddenly there's a, a we're breaking. Uh, time for a commercial break. Yeah, exactly. And you've just got a jingle. Good Day Sunshine. Look, that could be about anything. It could be commercial about fucking, it could be commercial about orange juice, orange juice powdered milk, you just yeah. Sun lotion. It could be a fucking show that's on TV. You know, it's just ice cream. Yeah, could be anything. It, now for a word. So from it, our sponsors. it has its place there, I guess, just to break up the seriousness or you know the different type of tone that has been set by the other songs. I, I like. I have to say, I you know, I'm not a big fan of this song, but I like the version on anthology better. You yeah, know, that, that it was so sort of going into a, a different direction. It had a bit of Indian stuff happening in there, and I thought if they would have pursued it that way, it would have been much better. Oh yeah, know? that w- that would have been given a totally different tone. You know, yeah, yeah. All right, number eight. Oh, and your bird. Oh, sorry, can number sing. nine. Number nine. Mm. Um, and your bird can sing. Yeah. Classic, an absolute classic. What a guitar yeah. riff! You know, yeah. the guitar riff itself. Is its own um, entity. In the in the original version, that guitar riff only appeared in the lead break. Right. So if you listen to the ones on Anthology, it starts off a totally different riff, a more jangly riff. Um, that's a good version too. The one on Anthology, it's it's more like uh, the birds, but this is more um, 
this version's more heavy and more revolver-like, you know? It's got more of that guitar sound. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... Um, it's just got a life of its own, you know? And look... And, and that line when you're talking about that, you know, John's lines, you know, when he says, and your prize... When your prize possession starts to weigh you down, look in my direction, I'll be round, you know? He's talking about material shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's right. It, and it's further removal from the the physical. And yeah. starting to, um, you know, the material world is starting to take on less significance than the psychedelic or, you know, uh, the soul, I guess. It's starting to look a bit more inward. Mm. Yeah, and I, I love also love uh, John and Paul's harmonies. Yeah, in that. it's catchy it's as fuck. Fantastic. Yeah, every really part catchy. of it. You know, there's not not one part of it. If you, like it could have, you know, if any band that would have written that song, that would have been their whole career. You know what I mean? That would have been like the greatest song of their whole career. Mate, they would have been, you know, probably still touring off that one song. You could take that song and give different parts to different bands. And that yeah. would have been their best song, you know? Yeah, yeah, You yeah. break it down into four different parts and that still would have been their best song. And, of course, with the Beatles cartoon, that um, second season of the Beatles cartoon, that was the opening song. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, for no one. Yeah. Number 10. Interesting. Again, it was a bit of, you know. I like that song. I really like that song. Uh, to me, it's sort of like Baroque. Mm. Uh, when, when I heard he wrote it in a Swiss chalet, that, that makes sense. Of, that added it. That added more atmosphere. Yeah, to me, you know, for me, um, I, I really like that song. I, I, I think um, you know that's when it comes to those little McCartney ballads. I think that's one of his best. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's not a bad song. I I don't know. It still just feels a bit out of place on the album. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a good standard McCartney song, but it maybe should have been on Rubber Soul. Yeah, but it's still it's it's got like you know the production in it is um, the production in it is still Revolver production. Mm. You know what I mean? It's still sort of sad. Sounds like it fits to me. It sounds like it fits on the album because of the production style. That's in Revolver. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And I'm sounding really anti-McCartney here, but I'm not at all. I just... Yeah, I know. It's just on this... They progressed. His, his songs aren't yeah. as good. I mean, he's got Eleanor Rigby. That's his best song on there. And, you know, the other ones aren't as good as what John and George are doing, I don't think. Mm. You know, it's there's just, a, lot of, a lot of people that would disagree, but I, uh, I just yeah. don't think... No. Especially McCartney. Yeah. Um, but I think just Revolver really highlights that, you know, that they progressed at different speeds yeah, or in different ways. In different ways. In different ways. Yeah, McCartney was always more of a um, – He's much more commercial. Much more commercial, yeah. yeah. And that's why, you know, uh, Sergeant Pepper's so commercial because he was the one that was basically, you know, took hold of that he album. He was the driver. And, yeah, he was a driver, and that's why it's commercial. And it seems, I actually like McCartney's songs on Sergeant Pepper better than I do on Revolver. Yeah, but I like John's songs on Revolver better than I do on Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, 
That's a fair yeah. call. All right. Uh, number 11, Dr. Robert. Mm. It's I think, yeah, it's a good song. I, I like the, I, I think it's one of John's weaker songs, though, especially mm. on this album. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like a pretty straightforward um, rock song. Well, yeah, it's got that sort of like that real uh, 60s discotheque feel again. Mm. Um, and for a long time, people thought that uh, Dr. Robert was the dentist that gave him acid. He was singing about the dentist. But um, That's what I John, thought. yeah, John said it was about him. He said he used to carry, he used to have all these pockets in his Beatles suit. He used to have all these pockets made and he'd put pills in all different pockets and then people would come up to him and uh, say, oh, yeah, I need this or I need that. I need an upper or I need a down and he'd give it to them. Okay. So, well, what era was that? Well, he's talking like 1964, 1965. Don't forget, don't forget this is two years after, not even a full two years, you know, about 18 months they started recording this after A Hard Day's Night. Right. So we're looking at the change here. If you really want to compare the, the change, the uh, advancement, listen to Hard Day's Night and then listen to this, mm-hmm. and that's two years later. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's night and day. It's it's insane that the the progression in sound and philosophy and look, even the way they looked. Yeah, yeah. Everything. It's all yeah. It's all fan. You know. Um. I, yeah. Just going back to just quickly. I just want to go back to um, Paperback Rider and Rain. Mm-hmm. Um. If you haven't seen those film clips, look them up on YouTube. They're fantastic. They look – I think the Beatles' coolest look is Revolver, the Revolver look. Yeah. It's like on the back of Revolver. I love the sunglasses they're wearing, the Paisley shirts, the haircut, the, the length of the haircut. I, I think that's a cool – so have a look at those two film clips because that looks like um, – they made those film clips and then went inside and took the picture for the back of a revolver. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I think that's the coolest look. And then the second coolest look is what we were talking about before, the Let It Be. Uh, sorry, the, um, yeah, the Let It Be White Album look. Yeah, yeah, they're both very good looks. But, yeah, they look great in those clips. Mm. Yeah. All right, number 12, I Want to Tell You. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a really good song. Um, yeah, I love it. I love that off-key piano. Yeah, and sort of got a sense of urgency, like he's trying to give us a message and getting back to that, you know, as the Beatles, as archetypes and, you know, John the shaman and and George is really becoming sort of like the priest here. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's got some, you know. um, Good melodies. Yeah, good twisted sort of like uh, lyrics like I'll make you make me next time around. Yeah. There's all swirly kind of lyrics and swirly kind of music Mm. and uh, that great harmonies. It's got a little bit of that Indian melody to it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think it's a good song. I I love like all of Georgia's songs on this. Yeah, good layers to it in sound, you know. It's just yeah. good sonic feel. Got to get you into my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 like, like, I like it. I like it as a song. I think. Yeah. And I think maybe even 
this could have been on the White Album. It feels more yeah. of, of the White Album than it does of yeah, this. As part yeah. of the Revolver canon, it feels more White Album-ish. Yeah. Uh, it's a good message. Uh, it's, it's a pretty good sound. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's not one of my favourites. Again, uh, it's you know, I, I, I love this album for the progression that's in it. I love it for that guitar sound. I love it for Ringo's heavy drums, and this song doesn't have any of that. So I, I like it for a song as a song, but yeah. I don't. You know, I certainly not one of the better songs on. On Revolver, no. in my opinion. Well, funnily enough, this, um, just reading off something here, McCartney described the song as an ode to pot, like someone might write an ode to chocolate or good claret. <laughs> so there you go. That puts it yeah. different. Well, that makes it a bit better. Yeah. Um, puts a different all right. Bend on it. Number 14, last but definitely, certainly not least. Mm. Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah, that's probably my favourite Beatles track. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, um, yeah, this was the one that when I listened to when I was 14, 15 maybe, that I thought this guy knows something that I don't and he can teach me, you know. Mm. It was, and, you know, we were, we had dabbled in, um, psychedelics around about that age because of where we grew up the cult the surf culture we grew up in but this song was just like a message yeah it's um yeah it's like a very this was like um the guru on the mountain yeah exactly you know? and that's, that's what he wanted that's what he actually wanted from he asked george martin he said i want this voice to sound like it's coming from a guru on the mountain, right. and they, they developed they developed that effect, uh, especially for that song. So that he was the first one to ever do that. It's called the Leslie Speaker, and what they did was they had I, I don't know how many, but they they stuck like three or four microphones together, and they put them in this sort of box, and they spun them round, mm. and that's how how you got that effect. And um, but yeah, Ringo's drumming too. Ringo's oh, you know that unbelievable. <laughs> Boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom, boom. Just the oh, whole the whole track, everything about it. Yeah. I like that sort of version on anthology too, that real that you know, that with that really weird sort of Indian sound roof, that I like that as well. Mm. Um but yeah, this was just like to, to this is the centerpiece of the album. Yeah. For sure. Turn this off is, your mind, relax, and float downstream. I mean, it's instructional. Yeah. And, you know, you're getting instructions to look in, to become uh, a new person, to look into this. That's meditation. That's what you do when you meditate, you know. You turn mm. off your mind, you relax, and you float downstream. Mm. Yeah. That's what you do. It's just um, – So he did re- uh, link it to Tibetan Book of the Dead, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And there's there's some really, you know, there's some uh, really good lyrics in there. I just, uh, I can't even think of them at the moment, but there's one. Um, Lay down all thoughts, surrender to the void. That's that's probably my favourite. Well, you may see the meaning of within. Uh, it is being, it is being. 
What what's that? What's the line? Uh, the end of the beginning. What's the words yeah. before that? Anyway, <laughs> so so yeah, they, those oh, look the the lyrics in there are just unbelievable. It's one chord. It's um, they went home and they all did little tape loops and they came in and they just um, randomly put in loops, backward loops here and there. It was all random. They did it like in one take. Yeah. After they recorded the main song and it's just sort of. Uh, you know, it's an incredible piece of recording. You know? When they talk about music as art, this is what it is. Oh. But it's even beyond art, you know. It's, it's like a, um, it's art, it's philosophy. Yeah, it's, that's it. It's philosophy. It's a message. Yeah. It's a message about how to live your life. Which, and no one was singing about that shit in 1966. And no one was telling me when I was 15. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. And that's what I'm talking about when I say, you know, I learnt more from Revolver and the White Album than four years of university or all our schooling that we had, all our education we had, because they just had a way of communicating what life was all about mm. to us, you know, in the most intelligent way possible, yeah. you know, through um, through lyrics and through music and through melodies. So, um, yeah, just, that's why. Just an incredible track. That's why it's the greatest album of all time. Yeah, I'd agree. That's and why it's the greatest album of all time. I think to make it greater, like we said, um, you know, we add Paperback Rider and Rain to it and yep. it's just unbeatable. It's, that's hands down, no question, the greatest album of all time. Well, it is anyway, but to do that, that's like uh, that's like the greatest album of in the universe. mm you know, I'd like to hear an alien that's recorded a better album. In the multiverse. I'll go as far as the multiverse. Yeah, in the multiverse. In all universes. All right. All right. So you've been listening to uh, Tomorrow Never Knows, a Beatles podcast. Um, we were speaking about Revolver and loving every second. Did you have fun? I had Talking fun. about Revolver? I had great fun. Well, yeah, it's really good to reminisce. It's really good to be able to articulate um, – the influence of the songs on you, you know, yeah. as a fan. Yeah. And, and just, yeah, and just a little uh, thing. Sergeant Pepper has been coming up as the number one album, you know, on the Rolling Stone, on, on all, all those charts for a long time. But there was a time in the 90s where Revolver was the number one album oh. for, for about three or four years, and that was when grunge was around. Right. And... If you listen to Nirvana, you listen to Soundgarden, you listen to all those guys, they, you know, we love those bands too. Yeah. Because there is a lot of revolver in there. Yeah. You right. know, especially Nirvana. There's oh, a lot yeah. of revolver in Nirvana. Well, you know? it was Kurt um, Cobain's favorite album too. Yeah, yeah. It was Kurt Cobain's favorite record. And, you know, as the story goes, Kurt Cobain didn't want to double track his voice, but the producer, every time he wanted to get him to double track his voice, would say, John Lennon did it. Mm. And he'd do it straight away. Yeah. 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 All right. So you can listen to us on um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all sorts of podcasts, um, and you can join us on our Facebook page. Uh, Tomorrow never knows a Beatles podcast. Yeah. Let us know uh, what you think on the uh, Facebook page. Whether you yeah, we'd love, we'd love to know. We'd love to know uh, what your favorite tracks are. And here's a little thing for you: if you want to make a comment, what um, what two songs would you take off and replace with 
Rain and Paperback Rider. <laughs> All right, so we'll we'll try not to make we'll try not to make the gap between episodes uh, as long again, but can't promise you. Nah. See you later. I promise nothing. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.